Well, good morning. It's good to see some unfamiliar faces along with familiar faces. If you don't know me, um, from last week, my name is Will. I'm an equipping minister here at Legacy Church, and I'm so glad to be among you. And this morning, I've been given the privilege of preaching in the Advent series on peace. So I want to give you a little bit about me. I'm, I was born and raised in West Texas. I think that there's some kind of secret plot going on with Luke and making sure that the, the staff is weighted towards Texans. I don't know what that's about, but uh, we're here. Uh, you can take that up with him later. I like to remodel things when I see something that uh, could be uh, <laughs> remodeled. That's something that I, I love to do. I like to make things better. And so my commitment to you is I also love discipleship. I love equipping. And what I believe, I believe the more that you know about God, the more that you understand about what the Bible says that he is, the more that it's actually going to help you navigate life. And so if you catch me in the hallway or you see me or you have a question, please pull me aside and say, hey, what about this? And I would love to help you out with that. If I don't know the answer, I'm going to get back to you as fast as I possibly can. But that's my commitment to you. My, uh, another commitment to you is that I stand under the authority of the Word of God, that it is my authority. And so when I approach preaching, I do it much in the same way. That being said, my style looks a little bit different. I like to kind of tether myself right here, and that's for my benefit, but it's for your benefit, because if I get off on a tangent, it's no good for anybody. So you might see me reading a little bit more than you're probably used to, it's going to be okay. So just <laughs> help with that. I almost always start off every sermon well-intentioned to say this is going to be short, but I almost always lie about that. It always runs over. And so if it's getting too long, somebody just do this, and I'll be like, all right, we can go straight to communion. We can do that. Um, other than that, I'm accompanied by my wonderful wife, um, Alyssa. She's here in the, the front row. Very nice. And uh, I have four children, two of which are in the back in children's ministry. And two, oh, no. There's three in here. So I have three in here. One's in the back in children's ministry. And uh, that's just a little bit about me. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Micah, chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles or your phone app, go ahead and turn there. And before we get started, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us to gather together. We know the importance of the gathered body of Christ, the gifts that we can share with each other in this morning, something specific about peace, how we can receive peace, but also how we can give peace to others, how it mirrors the gospel, your wonderful good plan in this world. So use me as an open and empty vessel to communicate your word of the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. In your name we pray, amen. So 700 years before Christ was born, there was a voice of the prophet that brought both judgment and hope to Israel. And so in the book of Micah, Israel had rebelled against God, and they had been rebelling against God for hundreds of years. Its leadership pursued greed. They did not like justice anymore, and they were particularly into taking advantage of the poor and so they had long broken God's covenant to make them a people that reflected the very character of God. And so God brings judgment on the land of Israel. We see this with invading armies of Assyria, and then next the Babylonians. After that would be the Romans. And time and time again, there's this 
period of conflict that is all building up to what Micah then gives also as a hope, a relief to Israel that God is going to work through their repentance for their salvation. And so in this time of displacement, Israel was also offered this amazing promise of hope if they would return to the Lord. Hope that God would reestablish his people and that they could look to a new Jerusalem, a king whose reign would never end and it would be encompassed by this idea of peace. And so for hundreds of years, awaiting for this to take place, Israel, all they could do was trust in the word of God to bring about this promised peace. And so, can you imagine what it would take to live through that time, to make it through that time, to trust God's good plan in an absolute time of sorrow? How valuable then would peace be in your life to you and God, for the people that are around you, and in the very civilization that you live in? With those questions in mind, we look to how God intends to answer their sin with his grace. And listen, God's answer to mankind when all they can produce is injustice and calamity, he gives them hope. So this morning, we can look at three wonderful benefits of hope fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. Peace in our hearts with a world that loves to rebel and divide. Peace in our broken relationships. And peace between us and God when we love to rebel and separate ourselves from him. And so here are my three main points this morning so that you can follow along. Point one is a, a heart at peace. Two is peacemakers. And three, the prince of peace. First, let's return to Micah and look at the hope God promises to their calamity of their civilization and having hope for a heart at peace. So having a heart at peace can be difficult when things are not as they should be. The peace of God, listen, and this is important, the peace of God isn't that life would necessarily be peaceful, but that your heart would be at peace in a world that isn't how it should be. So the borders of the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel have been breached. Jerusalem has been sacked, and the people of the land are being driven out. It is a terrible time. And listen, before we go too far, Israel, in the context here, they know what they've done. They've now heard the, they, the words of Micah have actually made sense, where before they were rejecting it. Now that makes sense. And so they know that the judgment of the Lord is on them and this situation that they're in is unfavorable. They know that the only path back to salvation is their repentance, which will make Micah, between the last prophet and the time that Jesus comes, so important for their prayer life, that they would listen to his words on how to communicate with God during this time, how to have their hearts peaceful in the midst of war. And so we pick back up, let's pick up this morning in Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And this is, this is what the Israelite would have survived on during this time. 
Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Okay, stop for a second. So Micah is drawing attention that Jerusalem, Israel, it's going to be attacked. There's going to be this great disservice done to the judge of all nations, but there is a purpose behind it. Verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So in a, in a time of uncertainty, in a time of war, God's promises are better than the evil of men. This is the air an Israelite would have breathed and survived on. The words of Micah, that there was a coming hope from a God that has always been faithful, that there will be relief. And so they can become peaceful people. Because the promise of God, not because of favorable circumstances in their life. Which means that they can weather incredible storms waiting on the one who is faithful. So fast forward until today. Christ has come and what the people at the time of Micah looked forward to is now what we look back to. And things are not entirely as they should be. So we still have cultural disagreements that divide living rooms and holiday dining room tables. There are wars and rumors of wars and we are plagued with hard decisions and hard circumstances and depression. So I ask you the same questions again. Imagine what it would take to, be, to remain hopeful in between the two advents. Okay, so for the first advent, it's Christ coming, that's what we're celebrating in this season, we look to Christmas. But the second advent, it's Christ's second coming in which he will make all things right. To where right now physical peace hasn't been promised, but the second advent will reign physical peace for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And this is my point. So when I ask these questions, what would it take for you to remain hopeful in the situation that you're currently in to trust God's good plan even in a time of sorrow. How valuable then would peace be in your life? How, would, how much would you give to have peace in the way that, in the circumstance in which you live? How valuable is peace to relationships that are broken, interpersonal relationships? How valuable is peace now between you, a holy God, your sin, and the separation there? Adventures say that that is an incredible value. It's something that I think we always seek. We never really seek to disrupt our lives. We are always bent for making everything peaceful, everything calm, everything predictable, consistent. So knowing 
that God has acted and sent his son Christ to be our peace, we can wait. We can be on mission and we can have joy even when the circumstances around us are just swirling because we know that the tragedy will not be the last word. So an Israelite looks forward to what Micah is saying here and the answer from God of this new Jerusalem and this king that will bring peace to their lives. We too knowing that that king has come. But I think a question arises sometimes in us. We're like, well, now that I am a Christian, why doesn't everything just make sense? Well, there's an already and there's a not yet. We are living in between the times, again, of Christ's first coming and his second coming. And there is an emphasis placed on the time that we're in now, peace to mankind, which is the gospel goes forward, right? I think I can say with a certain degree that Christ hasn't returned yet because the book of life hasn't been fulfilled yet. That he is holding out for those to hear the gospel message. And Christians, we have a mission to go on into this world to proclaim his goodness, his peace to mankind, the, the same peace that rests in our hearts with them. And so when you start to view life as a mission, you start to see clearly that you're not really supposed to set up a kingdom or an empire here of peaceful living but that you can wade headlong into tragedy, into calamity, and know that your heart can have peace in those times because God is with you and this isn't the end, right? Tragedy is not gonna have the last word over you. He is the peace of our heart and one day, one day, he will be our physical peace. Uh, I, I love this story, perhaps I've told it too much, I'm going to tell it again. There's a backstory to the song that was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford called It Is Well With My Soul. Raise your hand if you've heard that song. All of you. Thank you. All right. So that's good. <laughs> the story goes like this. Spafford was a successful attorney and owned a lot of real estate, actually lost a ton of money in the great Chicago fire of 1871. That same year that he lost most of his, of his wealth, his four-year-old son died of the scarlet fever. So sensing that his family needed a break, they planned a vacation. He booked a, a ship for them to sail back to England to go on holiday. Unfortunately, the ship carrying his wife and his four daughters collided with another ship somewhere in the Atlantic. The ship sank and he lost four of his daughters. He finds this out by receiving a telegram from his wife in England that said, saved alone, what shall I do? So Spafford obviously books a trip to England, gets on a ship and goes over to comfort his wife. And the captain of that ship, knowing the tragedy, knowing the location of where it happened, informed Spafford, and this is what is said to have happened when they crossed over those waters. The story goes that Horatio Spafford sat down and he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. Listen, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know it is well 
It is well with my soul. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. When the sea billows roll over your life, there is only one peace that you can have that gives you strength enough to say, it is well. And that's not a peace from this world. It's not even an understanding of peace from this world. It's not even something from the stage that I can package for you and say, here, take this so you can apply that when tragedy comes into your life, when the civilization around you is melting, when things are not as they should be. What is the promise of God? Is that he will supply you something that the world can't produce. That he would center your heart enough that his peace would dwell in you in such a way that you would know this is not the end. And he gives you the calm that you need to continue to face the mission that is before you. It is supernatural. When you run to Christ, he will be there and he will help. You can have peace of heart in unpeaceful situations. Because of God, because of his promises, because of his delivered promises, because of the hope that we have that he is coming back, to know this world will fade away. And there will be nothing but joy on that day. Every tear will be wiped from your eye. And you will look peace face to face. Things aren't as they should be. But we know that that's not the end. There's more. We know that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 7. So here's the phrase. We can have peace, but life will not always be peaceful. How valuable is that? That spiritual blessing, how valuable to you is that to have? It was for Horatio Spafford. It was for the countless other stories that I've heard where in impossible situations, people praise God when the world looks at him and goes, no, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. So when we get the peace of Christ and it stirs us up to stand on our feet again, we have the teaching from Jesus on what to do next. And this is my second point this morning. We become peacemakers. So we become the thing to others that Christ has given to us. In his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus teaches this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So it's a, a pretty important commission. It's a pretty important blessing. It's a pretty important thing to listen to the teaching of Christ and step into the very peace that he gives your soul. You're supposed to then turn it around and give that peace to others. To be a person, when you walk into a room, people go, oh, that guy is going to make everything better. And so with a heart full of peace, we extend that peace into the world. Colossians 3.15 says, 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So we can have peace of God when life isn't peaceful and we can give the peace of God to others because Christ helps. These two verses, this second point of mine, actually I feel in a lot of ways could be harder than the first point of you coming to grips with having a peace, having peaceful at heart because you know who God is. You know that he's going to deliver. He's going to come through with you. Like once you wrestle with getting that and you have the supernatural strength to have peace in your heart and stand up on your two feet, I actually think it might be harder to be a peacemaker. It beckons us to forgive and pursue reconciliation as much as we sensibly can, right? Sensibly can, that's, that's that Romans 12, 18 right there. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So that requires repentance and humility to accomplish. So listen, what kind of church would it be if we approached each other this way and said, look, I've wronged you and I'm sorry please forgive me. How hard is it for you to acknowledge that you're the one that has hurt someone else, that you've sinned against them, and before we take communion, cross the room in front of everybody and just say, hey, that thing I said the other night, I- I'm sorry. That, that, that was on me. Would you forgive me? That there would be a category, a theme of reconciliation. What kind of church would that look like? Listen, what kind of home would it look like if one spouse went to the other and said, I don't know where things got off the rail there, but I want to acknowledge my part in this, and I need you. Would your marriages be safer or less safe if both were committed to that, to making peace? Peacemaking means pursuing reconciliation at the highest cost reasonable. Listen, this is going to sting a little bit, whether you're right or wrong. Right? Do you feel that? Did I, did you, what I just said, like that you should pursue reconciliation at the highest cost possible, even when you know you're right. Yeah, that, that, that changes, that should produce a little something and you'd be like, no, 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 wait a minute. In this argument, I'm right. They need to come to me and say that they're sorry. Well, how's that been working out for you? I bet not very well. And men leading your families, husbands, this should be you. I think that you're probably gonna have the harder time with this. Even when you're right, you go to your spouse and you say, hey, look, you know what's really important to me? The fact that I need you and reconciliation needs to happen and I just want to acknowledge whatever I've done and let's start that conversation. Would you forgive me? Yeah, there's something in, in that that seems incredibly hard. And so here's the model of what I just said in Romans 5, 
verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So did you catch that? The model peacemaker, Christ, went to the cross before you repented. That while you were still sinners and you had done nothing to earn his obedience to God, going to the cross to die for your sins, that it would be placed on him so that you could walk away scot-free, he took action to make peace with you and then offer you a free gift. So can you be the one that's wronged and pursue peacemaking? Absolutely you can. Because of Jesus. Because our model in Jesus, he did it. Now listen, if you're, if you're sitting there and you're saying, I just can't. Good. Listen, family, that's where I need you to be. I just can't wrap my hand around that. I can't wrap my heart around that. I just can't go to that other person and pretend like everything's going to be okay. I'm the one that's wronged. I can't. Good. In that moment, say, I need God. I need you. Right? And that peace that surpasses all earthly understanding will come and dwell in your hearts. It will produce something very spiritual, supernatural that didn't come from you, but is of God. And you will be standing in the power of his grace and you will be able to have these kind of conversations pursuing reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. What kind of home would you have if this was what you were doing? What kind of parent-child relationship would you have if even when you're wrong, you would have to go to your children and say, hey, daddy needs Jesus just like you. Would you forgive me? What kind of coworker would you be if you walked into your, your place of work and out of all of the, the nasty things that I know that can happen to you with upper management and the dysfunction there, that if you were committed to being a peacemaker, you start to mend broken relationships, and then while that action is present in front of people, then you can tell them why. I do this because this is what Christ has done for me, and you can share the gospel. Peacemaking becomes an image of the gospel, tangible enough for you to take into the real world and have benefit. We read it earlier in uh, Colossians 3.15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. That's talking about the church. And then it says this, and be thankful. We know that it is beneficial to position our this, ourselves this way because the Bible tells us that we are to give gratitude towards it. It is a good thing for you. It is a good thing for others. So Christ becomes our peace from God while we were still drenched in sin. And if he can be a peacemaker, then people that follow him can also give peace in this way. Now, just a, a slight caveat here. Listen, I'm going to lean heavily on Romans 12, 18 right here. As, as far as it is possible for you, reasonably, to seek this kind of forgiveness from others, I, I'm going to have to turn it over to you. Your pastors want to hear from you. Um, ministers here at the church want to hear from you. If you've been a victim in a way, 
Listen, I, I think that there's a caveat here in, in Scripture. But I will tell you this. That you can be a peacemaker, even if you're the one wronged, trying in the power of the Holy Spirit to, because there is an answer even for you with a party that is never going to say they're sorry. That you can't even imagine approaching. I think I would even give you permission for that, but I would ask you to walk in the Spirit in that one. But listen, I, I, I know that that might be on some of your hearts, so just hear me really clearly right here. Friends, this might not always go the way that you want it to go. You might walk away from your attempt unreceived and reconciliation kicked back across the table. And so two words here. Christ sees that. And Christ is capable to restore where others should have but will not. And that's why we're beckoned to be peacemakers. The idea is it's for everyone's benefit. But if you're the one that needs to be built back up, Christ sees you. And in that posture, he will restore you. He will begin to restore you. Even if you never have that other person say that they're sorry. That is a part of God renewing you and reconciliation and what he promises in his spiritual blessings in Christ. Now that's a real situation, isn't it? Friends, be restored in a way that I can't even unpack for you this morning, but that you would run to Christ and you would say, I don't know how that's possible. That's good. Say, I need you, Jesus. And watch the power of the Holy Spirit work. So, of course, all of this is impossible, right? All of this is impossible without the promised Messiah, without Jesus himself. We cannot really have peace of heart if we don't sit under the one who gives the peace, right? If we're separated from him. If he sits on a throne somewhere else and the throne of our heart is ruled by us. It's impossible to be a, a good peacemaker to get this supernatural strength because your best effort, what you're doing, is you're, you're deploying all of your earthly wisdom to try to correct broken relationships. And it might get messy, and it often does. And what I often see is people just give up wholesale. Families will not talk to themselves, each other, for decades because of bitterness. Well, I'm done. That person's... That person can stay over there, they can live their life, and they won't seek reconciliation. But it, it is impossible to have this supernatural peacemaking ability without the one that stands over it and able to give that to you. Right, so this leads me to my final point this morning. The Prince of Peace. It's simple. This is always pointing back to Jesus. Right, so let's look at the Christmas story in Luke 2 and find out what Micah was writing about. One of the most important moments in all natural and supernatural history, Christ is born. And so read with me in Luke 2, verse 13 and 14. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
armies of angels are standing with the night sky split open and, and, and praising God because he has kept his promise. He has provided the answer to mankind's most disastrous problem. And he has sent his son to reconcile us back to a father. Because of our repentance, we get to be made whole with our creator again. And so this majestic scene, all glory is going to God for being the one who's promised something and has delivered it. And this baby in a manger that we would focus and that directs our attention to Jesus pushes that forward and says, here is the answer. This is why the armies of heaven, the, the hosts of heaven are praising me. Because I am faithful. It's your sin, your failure, civilization, tragedy will not have the last word. Separation from me will be overcome with what I've done. Look to this baby in the manger. Isaiah 9, 6, we read it this morning. We read it again. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We cannot have a peaceful heart. We cannot be peacemakers if we have not first had peace with God. It is the reason why we gather. It is the gospel. It is to worship Jesus to the glory of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what Christmas is all about. You just point your affections and your attentions to this this morning, that God's promise for you is real. What does he require of you to come to make peace with him? That you come you acknowledge that you have rebelled against him and then you sit and you wait for his word. And when you do that, you believe that he is God and you confess your sins. There's no meeting in heaven. There's no counsel with the, I don't know, should we let Jim in? Mm, it's a liability. It says that he is faithful to forgive you of your sins. The war between you and God is over. The battle of wills, his will, my will, the sin that defiles you, that makes you different from him and pushes you out of the light, the gap is closed inside of Christ Jesus. So before we can even get any of those other things right this morning, this has to be right first. It was a great cost that God did this for you. A son is given. He sent Jesus from heaven to be like us so that he would know our plight without sin, head to the cross, spread his arms in your place, take the full wrath of God on him, and be in you, what all you would have to say is, I need your forgiveness, and you would be forgiven. This is the gospel. This is what we celebrate in the coming of Jesus. This is what the Israelites of Micah would have looked forward to. This is now what we look back to and praise. So friends, this is an invitation for you this morning. 
If you need peace with God, listen, and you don't know where to start, come and find me after the service. Find one of the pastors. Ask your questions. Run over your hesitations. But just as clear as you're hearing this right now, it is on you to respond. Because of God's great love and compassion, he sent the one that would make peace. And and here it is. When you surrender to him, you can trust his peace because he's good. He's good. He always fulfills his promises, and that's why we can have hope. And in hope, it produces peace and joy. And more on joy next week.